uh, welcome to Logos today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Are you going? Uh, no problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, as you can hear, I have another biohacker on my podcast, officially known under Katie Type A, and. First of all, perhaps it may be interesting to learn a bit about who you are and maybe give an explanation to how you came to adopt this name. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for the lovely introduction. I I am Katie Moore um, officially, but I have gone under the name Katie Type A for a couple of reasons. When I first got into biohacking, I just was completely amazed by how much I felt like I didn't know about health and how much I, you know, sort of had gone down the traditional like standard American diet for so many years. And I, I was in my like mid twenties when all of a sudden I just felt like I had hit a wall with my health. Like my stress was through a roof. I also felt like I had immense brain fog, which shouldn't be happening when you're still that young. And it turned out to be a lot of different environmental factors that I then later discovered through this kind of, you know, mode or medium of biohacking, which is really, you know, this kind of sexy coined term for taking control of your biology by looking at some quantifiable metrics to really see what you're doing that's working and what you're doing that's not. So I, I went down this path, you know, as I mentioned in my, my late 20s, I kind of discovered, I almost like stumbled on it through listening to a couple podcasts. And I went down this rabbit hole of then doing a lot of self-experiments on myself with nootropics and ketosis and red light therapy, cold, hot therapy. And I just felt like I was alive again after just a couple of months. And it was so amazing. And that really was the impetus for me to say, oh my gosh, I can't keep all this information to myself. And around that time, I, you know, was looking for more resources that, you know, this goes back quite a few years before biohacking became trendy. And there wasn't a lot of information online. It was really in some of these fringe podcasts very few YouTubers really talking about this kind of stuff in the space. And the other problem was a lot of the people I was finding were really, you know, being product endorsers for certain things. And it was really hard to tell what was good from what might not actually work. And so I, I had been a journalist, you know, back when I was in college and after college. And so I really wanted to apply this kind of ethical, outlook or out, you know, kind of viewpoint on the state of the industry, especially as I was testing all these different products, I was like, some of this stuff is just not working. And so that, that was really kind of where I then took all of that information. I said, I got to get this out to people and YouTube became the medium in which I felt like I could actually have a voice and a presence in the space. Now the name type A is very indicative of the type of person I am and also the type of person I think might be attracted to this field of really optimizing your biology. You know, it kind of takes a certain person with some gumption and, and I think type A has often gotten this really bad reputation for someone who is, you know, overzealous, overstressed, doesn't sleep, works too much. So I really wanted to take that sort of, you know, like, old timey viewpoint on what type A is and really flip it on its head and, and give it a kind of a new outlook on life and be like, no, you can be type A, you can thrive, you can be successful, but I'm also going to show you how to manage your sleep and stress and all these other things so that you can take the good out of the type A and not have to worry about some of the stigmas attached. And so that was really the creation and the, the meaning behind Katie type A. So that, yeah, that's kind of the origin story. Yeah, um, that's, that's really interesting, uh, especially mentioning um, the, this idea of type A with, I would say, kind of to, to define it further, maybe 
higher in openness and extraversion and to to just try new things um it's it it seems that in our society we we kind of have slowly shifted towards um being rather unoriented towards pleasure in in the short term than a extended happiness and totally yeah i think also the other thing that i've learned certainly from being in kind of this like public space where anytime you sort of put stuff out into the open world of youtube or podcasting or blogs it's like you're you're kind of putting yourself out there for both you know acceptance and criticism and being a perfectionist all my life where i was like if i don't get a gold star if i don't get 101 on this test like i don't feel good about myself that has had to shift because i get a lot of really wonderful feedback but i do also get a lot of comments that are not so great and you have to take the good with the bad and so what it's done is it really is like fortified me to become more resilient and and kind of have thicker skin and get over my high horse of being perfect and say it's it's okay not to be perfect and if that's that's been a lifelong battle and issue for me just trying to get past that where you really just strive to be the best in your field and i think it's a it's a good quality. Every time like I would sit in for a job interview, people would always be like, so what is like your biggest flaw? And I hated that question because I was like, I don't want to talk about my flaws. Like I'm here to try to get a job, but it, I always would say like, oh, well, it's being a perfectionist. And I know that's kind of funny, but it's like, yeah, sometimes I will push myself so hard to the point of burnout because I'm striving so hard to be perfect in my own definition and standard. So I have had to work through that because if I was trying to be perfect and I didn't get a hundred percent like rating on YouTube, well, I'd never make it. I would never, I never even have the impetus to get up and produce content every week because I would be so limited by my own belief system. So part of my catharsis in overcoming some of this has been just being open to criticism, good feedback, all sorts of kind of, you know, responses to what you put out. And at the end of the day, just know, like, I did the best I could, but I know I'm not perfect. That's a great idea. Maybe uh, another view on this would be you, and this is, of course, takes humility, but you cannot possibly be perfect at everything. Mm -hmm. And to actually be <laughs> maybe you could say the the most perfect you can be you would try to be perfect in the most fields that's that are possible and um i i really um appreciate the authenticity um that you that you showcase here because um especially when negative attention is in the play um one often rather shifts towards being in the defensive position and not showing any weakness um and especially in in this space of health and biohacking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we are all flawed it's innate in our biology that we aren't perfect there so it really takes a lot of humility to just pursue it um yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's definitely even some people in this space who don't want to accept any of the criticism and they're like, it's my way or the highway and like, love me or hate me. Like, you know, you, you pick. And it's like, no, that that's not how I'm going to reach the most people. Like, yeah, maybe I'll get a very, you know, loyal following or get, you know, people who are extremely attracted to that kind of mentality and that's fine, but that is not what I'm after. Like I, first and foremost, I'm like an educator. It's always been my passion. And so it's like, how do you take your knowledge, be able to package it in a way that's going to reach the most people. And sometimes, yeah, you just have to be humble and realize that what 
I'm sharing with the world is going to hopefully be of value, even though not everyone's going to want to necessarily hear it at this time. You know, I think it's like, you do have to kind of outweigh that cost benefit analysis. It's like, yeah, you could come in with a very defensive mentality. Like this is the only way to do it, but like, you're going to isolate yourself. And then what happens if you're wrong? And then you've told all these people that like, this was the only way, but as we've learned from biohacking, it's like, things are always changing. I think that's another thing. There's no one way. (laughs) Mm, I've I've probably from most of the people I've learned from, especially when it comes to these dogmatic fields, like mostly nutrition and exercise, the most basic ideas, uh, and especially sleep, of course, is Mm -hmm. that probably nutrition wise, everyone has gone through a vegan and whatever (laughs) phase uh, adopting everything that's out there. So, and of course, just simply uh, when we're growing up, we're going, we at the beginning, we literally know nothing uh, except what is innate to our biology. So to assume that you're right in the things you, um, you assume to know um yeah this this kind of arrogance is um just a hundred percent going to lead to failure um but but how would you say do you when you say you're an educator how do you manage to stay kind of unbiased uh especially when you have a financial incentive attached Yeah. I mean, I, I think the best way that I have gone about doing this is I have done like no partnerships pretty much for the first year of creating content. So I bought every single product myself and it was, it biohacking can be a very expensive hobby. So it was a huge investment in money and resources and time to really test this stuff out. And I, you know, that was, that was actually a really great opportunity for me though, to be like, listen, there's no affiliate incentive here. I'm telling you what I'm telling you based on the data that I've collected on myself from testing X, Y, and Z. So that was kind of like this baked in assurance. Now, as I've grown, I've had obviously a lot of companies reaching out to me, trying to get me to talk about their products on my channel. And so it became a very, you know, kind of like eye-opening moment where I needed to put together an ethics statement. And so I do actually have one on my website, which I follow through and through. And really it's about kind of the, the core principles that I've set for myself that I learned when I was really young as a journalist. And I think, you know, sometimes it's the things that become so ingrained in you when you're at that formidable age of 17, 18, that really stick with you and become part of your identity. And so one of those things was this really, really strong impetus towards always finding the truth and never settling for less and always looking at both sides of the story. And so like, for instance, you know, when you are young and in journalism, like there are some stories that you tend to either get assigned or you choose yourself and you go and cover them. And then you come back to your editor and you're like, okay, I got the story. And they're like, well, you're completely missing the other side of like the people who are against this, like, I don't know you know, creating of this, like, you know, mall in a, in a small urban environment, right? Like some, some, like whatever your story is, it's like, no, you got to get both views. And so over time I learned, I was like, oh my goodness, that is, that is how you create this sense of balance, right? It's the yin and the yang. It's like one side and the other, there's always going to be multiple sides to the story. There's always going to be kind of two parts to unfold and share with people because, you know, at the end of the day, there are so many different opinions. And so what I've done is basically taken all of the journalism credentials and my, my overall understanding of how to 
create a story like that. And I've just applied it to a different medium in which it's product testing. And in some ways, it's so much easier to do it that way. And okay. one of the things I actually tell any, like I've, I have very few partners. Um, Eight Sleep is one of them because I absolutely love that product and I can't live without it. And so that's one of the things that I also tell people. I'm very upfront with them in my videos. Like, listen, this is a product that I believe in thoroughly. And what I do then is in any contract or any agreement on testing a product with the vendor or company I'm working with, I tell them very like first, one of the first things I say is, this is, this is going to be an unbiased review. I am going to highlight the pros and the cons. And if you are simply looking for a positive review, I'm not your person. And I make that explicit in our first interaction. And if they're okay with that, then I might move forward. But at the end of the day, it's like the, the money thing is a nice side benefit for sure. But I'm not, that's like not what drives me to get up every morning. It really does. really work around that whole affiliate temptation thing is like, you just got to be upfront and transparent with your audience, the company you're working with, have a really strong ethics statement that you can always turn to if you ever have any questions. And that is, um, I really sounds important, um, kind of to, to oppose a, a certain moral relativism um, mm -hmm. some adopt to and to, yeah, kind of seek out such um, objective truth. So, um, yeah, this is definitely useful whenever you're in a situation of being unsure about A or B. Um, great. Now, I would really like to um, give listeners the message of what they can actually do in terms of mm -hmm. biohacking and especially as you said <laughs> it can be quite an expensive hobby so what is one ought to do when there is perhaps little or even no budget mm -hmm. and where should people start yeah i mean i i think that some of the best biohacks are actually free and i And I'm always happy to give people these kind of resources because there's usually like, depending on where you live in the world, readily available. So let's start with the beginning. And the, the first thing when you wake up, you know, I think first of all, hydration is key. Like one of the things I always start my day with is a glass of kind of lukewarm water, a little bit of Himalayan sea salt really balances out the pH in your body. Then I go outside and I get natural sunlight on my face, on my body, first thing in the morning. So what's happening here, if you're familiar with circadian rhythms is your, you know, your body produces melatonin at night to help you sleep. It's a natural hormone. And so it's secreting that, you know, as you're going to bed. So when you get sunlight in your eyes, in your, on your skin, first thing in the morning, what's that at, what that is actually doing is turning off that melatonin secretion. And so it's going to basically tell your body, Hey, we're awake now. Like it's time to start the day. And so getting outside first thing in the morning, and it doesn't have to be an hour. I mean, I do these things in like 10 minutes. I go for a quick walk down the street, get a little bit of sunlight. And then I come back in and I kind of do the, the rest of my morning routine. Uh, but you know, another thing that you can do, and this was probably really great for people who are going through, you know, stress and need to kind of figure out a way to manage or mitigate stress. I have a really strong grounding practice. And so grounding is simply taking your shoes off and putting your feet on the earth. You know, this is something that we used to do when we were kids and we've gotten so far away from that with all our rubber shoes and protecting our feet. And there's a reason why, I mean, you don't want to walk on concrete or pavement barefoot, but if you have access to grass or even a sandy beach, and I'm very fortunate to live in Hawaii right now where I'm a five minute walk from the beach. And so I, I actually will go to the beach and put my toes in the sand uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes is really all you need. It's a totally free resource. 
I mean, there's so many studies on what it can actually do, including, you know, lowering your heart rate and blood pressure. And those are like, you know, quantifiable stats that you can actually measure in the moment. But another thing it does for me, it's, it just, I, I personally just kind of feel this immense weight lifted off my kind of stress for the day, whenever I'm like, you know, sometimes just trying to, if I get like kind of in a creative rut or I get really stuck, it's like just returning to that kind of centering and balancing in your body can be really helpful when you're having these kind of negative charges mixed with the positive charges. So that's, that's what happens basically when your body is interacting with the, the physical ground. Another thing I absolutely love is hot and cold therapy, which you can pretty much, you don't need a fancy infrared sauna, you know, or, or one of those like $10,000 ice baths. Like simply if you live in an environment where you can get hot and cold water, just use your shower and, you know, regulate the temperature. So what I'll do is take, you know, a kind of warm shower. Then I'll maybe put the, the dial up a little bit hotter than I would like. And then I immediately turn it to the cold. And so it's like this crazy shock that's happening to your body. It's actually creating what's called kind of the sense of, um, hormetic shock. So our body loves stress, but, uh, only acute stress. So oh, long-term stress, uh, you know, is, is obviously not great for heart and health and, and, you know, all sorts of issues, but the acute stress can actually be very stimulating. And so, I, I love doing kind of these acute stressors, which can really help with creating this sense of resiliency in the body. And over time, you actually can get a lot better at doing some of these kind of hot, cold treatments and do cold water longer, and then start doing, you know, cold ocean plunges. And you start to build up this stamina in your body. Like I can handle anything. And so for me, it's like, I, I used to hate the cold and now I actually really thrive in that, you know, kind of sense of presence and focusing on the breath and going inward. Breath work is obviously another thing that so many people can do for free between Wim Hof or even nose, nose breathing before bed, particularly. I love doing box breathing where, you know, you, you've sit really quiet and you just focus on the inhales, the hold and the exhales. And you repeat that. And it actually is helping regulate your vagus nerves um, system. So you're really calming down the mind. You're calming down all of the muscles in the body just by the very act of using your breath. So those are some of the ways, like some very easy free biohacks that I always recommend people get started with if they're looking to help with optimizing their sleep and their stress and overall feeling of well-being. Yeah. And um, and this just speaking from me personally is a opening up a great door to a lot of practices, um, because first of all, and I'm unsure why, but in the general public, the idea of, and this is all a kind of self torment, for example, exposing to cold water or restricting what you consume or when you consume it or whatever, um, kind of just um, has gotten a bad rap. And to start with such simple, though effective treatments, um, yeah, I believe can, can just lift a lot of this because as soon as you notice what you have in terms of benefits and even related to things that one would never associate with this, for example, yeah, just stress you would attribute to kids and work and whatever being in reality related to your physicality. So um, this. Yeah, I, I think you you really raise a great point where it's like the the reason it's kind of gotten this bad rep is really people overdoing it and then, you know, talking about some of the dangers of it because they overdid it. And it's like, yeah, you can totally overdo cold therapy and then get hypothermia, or you could totally overdo fasting and end up in the hospital. Like that's not the point. The point is to 
get your body to that like optimal level of stress before it is beyond the point of, you know, kind of, uh, no benefits added. So for instance, you know, like with fasting, I, I, I do fasting, but it's, it's a much shorter window than what the, you know, classic window is like mine are usually 12 to 14 hour fast because that I'm listening to my body. That's kind of how long I can go before I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to eat now. Same with cold therapy. It's like, sometimes I go into the ice bath, some days it's longer than others and that's okay. And so what I think people should really do before they start experimenting with any of these other things is really become more intuitive with your own biology, know what your, your, your kind of upper limits are. And by that, you just have to get into a really healthy practice of sleeping kind of consistently waking up at the same time, going to bed at the same time, you know, managing your stress on a daily basis in, a, in that kind of way, before you start adding on the, all of these extra layers, you know, because you really got to understand your physiology and how well you do with certain things and really become, as I say, like intuitive, know when it's too much, you know, there, there are times that I would push myself so hard, either running or doing cold therapy or something. And, and then the, then it's like, it's no longer a benefit Then you're, you're fatigued or you're, you're drained from it. And that's not what you want. You want to get to that level where you're like, I feel invigorated. And so I think, of course, this is going to be very much a case by case basis. This is so personalized, but that's why I always tell people like, you got to really dial into your own biology first and know what are the things work for you and start small. You don't have to go do a 20 minute ice bath right off the gate, you know, start small. So you've now raised a lot of <laughs> these yeah, ways that um, you could overstep the benefits um, that it adds to your productivity, but then it becomes rather a, just another addictive mm -hmm. habit. But, um, and this is particularly interesting in my view, where would you say are the limitations of um, such benefits and how How much is it worth? So, for example, with Dave Asprey greatly aspiring to um, live to 180 years old, is it worth restraining oneself that far um, in, in a goal that is so unknown to mankind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in that sort of... Um kind of, you know, the, that, his, that's kind of become his shtick. And I, and I actually appreciate it because I think what he's going for is the shock value, right? Like I'm gonna live to 180 and yeah, that would be awesome if he could, you know, but I think realistically, like more practically, like I just want to be in my nineties and be able to still be mobile. Right. Like I don't, I don't kind of set those far reaching goals like that for myself be just for the sake of it. It's more like, I want to feel so good every day and I want to just be able to be really productive. So I think the most important thing before you get started with any of this is identify your personal goals, right? Like it's going to look different for everyone. For me, it's like, I want to always be learning something and I want to feel better today than I did yesterday. I want to sleep better last night than I did the night before. So I have like a couple of very, you know, stress is also, you know, and that that's a little <laughs> harder to measure too. Right. Because like, you know, there are really no at home cortisol tests to really be able to quantify that. But I know how I feel when I'm stressed and I know how I feel when I'm relaxed. And so, you know, I always want to feel less stressed today than I did the day before. So those are sort of the things that I, I look at. And yeah, I mean, you can take your body to all sorts of extremes. I mean, there's stem cell therapy. There are, you know, you can hook up electrodes to your head and do, you know, neurostimulation and feedback. And I, I'm not going to say any of those things are wrong. I think it's so wonderful to see that 
the industry has come so far and there are so many advances being made in terms of helping give people access to these tools that they might not have had before. But again, it's going to come down to a money issue, right? Like how much are you willing to put in? And yeah, I mean, I think I am probably a little bit more conservative in where I want to like, how far I want to push my body. But I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with people kind of, you know, looking for ways to optimize themselves as long as they're doing no destruction or harm to their, to themselves or anyone else. And so that, that kind of comes back to the philosophy of of what Dave talks about. It's like, he's doing no, if he is doing all this stuff to better his life, further his longevity, and he's doing no harm to anyone, then that's his choice. That's his life. And, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly not a doctor. I can't say for certain what he's doing is, is not, you know, medically right or wrong. I, I think the, the best thing that has come out of the whole biohacking movement is just giving people this kind of opportunity and freedom to really take a hard look at their lives and do a lot of kind of this, this own like work on yourself and really be able to figure out how to hack or take control of what you are doing to your body and really understand it better. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I know it's probably not the answer you're looking for, but that that's sort of how I feel about the space. No, um, actually I believe that's, that's quite a good assessment. Um, my, my personal comment would be, and when you say he's doing no harm, um, from what I've observed, his books and ideas and <laughs> the numerous companies he's spreading are seemingly quite beneficial. And especially with this um, yeah, shocking factor, he's able to as well spread it into the broader public that would normally not really be interested in such ideas. So, and if he now is living to 180, um, I would be grateful um, if he could use all these years to go on so and mm-hmm. perhaps enable others to do the same. Um, so, yeah, as well, I would n- not see any downside as long as it um, is individually based. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, I mean, you can look at some amazing people in this space, uh, like Ben Greenfield is, is one of them and he does a lot of crazy things to his body and puts his body into all, you know, sorts of gadgets and gizmos. And I, you know, I, I can respect that. I'm not going to do that to myself. You know, I, I just, I'm probably not going to be injecting myself with peptides anytime soon. You know, it's just like, I think I, I just know like that's, that's kind of not my goal and it's not like, it wouldn't benefit me in the short term, maybe in the long term, and maybe I'll change my mind. And that's also another thing that I think we always have to kind of be really mindful about when we talk about these things in the space is like, don't have this fixed mindset. Like you're never going to do it. Right. Like when I was younger, I was like, I'm never going to put butter in my coffee. Like I never would have (laughs) ever imagined the things I would do today. I hated the cold. I, if you told me when I was 15 that I would be doing ice baths when I was 33, I would have laughed my head off, but look at me now like that. You have to be willing to adapt, evolve, do your research on what you think might be beneficial and what's not. And then just, you know, be open to change. And so, you know, if Dave Asprey comes back in a couple of years and he goes, you know what, guys, I'm just going to stick with the 99 and we'll be happy with that. Like, I mean, of course he's going to get flack from people, but I'd be like, Hey, that's awesome. Like, I'm so happy that you have this evolving mindset where you're not like, I have to do this. Right. I think we, that's where we get stuck is when we were like, no, this is it this way or no way. So that's, that's always how I kind of look at the way I biohack. Yeah, I like the analogy, although um, if he's going to put his mind to live that long, um, failure would be 
quite mm -hmm. <laughs> the same as yeah failing to do so um but, but then, I mean, I guess like if he doesn't yeah. live to 180, but he, you know, is not around, like then he can't really experience the failure, right? Like it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like the perfect like ruse. It's like, hey guys, like I'm going to live here. And if I fail, well, you know, there's nothing I really can do about it, <laughs> you know, it versus, versus like having something <laughs> like a monetary quantity, like I'm going to make a million dollars this year and then you don't do it. And then you're like, okay, well, you know, I did realize that Bitcoin was going to crash, you know, like. It's it's one of those things where you know I think it's kind of funny. It's like okay, well, if you don't make it, dude, like, well, I guess we can't hold you accountable. <laughs> sure. Well, it's it still I guess would create some accountability for him that he is more motivated than he would be himself. And totally. this is really interesting because and that I well with Ben Greenfield, um, where these practices become on a or rather explore to a transcending um, level when it comes to biology and rather become moral so how long should you live or uh, so a lot is opening up um, in this field that is not even directly linked with this so it will be really interesting how this evolves but I would as well like, and you've commented on this, and um, this is really important as well, because it's really easy when you're in this space to see this optimistic upside, but um, rather looking at statistics from the general public and just simply going outside um, can be quite dismal. I've had some experience in the hospital directly and could not this could not disagree more with the treatments that patients were, were described, especially looking at diabetes and um, metabolic diseases. So, um, and you just said uh, you cannot evaluate this um, because you're not a physician, but yeah. ironically, it seems as the physicians are the ones that for some reason um, don't have the solution. What would you say about that? Hmm. You know, it, it, this is just not part of my wheelhouse of, of really commenting on this. Um, I, you know, I think to give you my personal on and honest answer, it's like the best thing you can do right now is preventative medicine. It's the stuff that you can do to prevent yourself from getting those diseases. Of course. Yeah. Um, the system in the United States or abroad. Um, I, I'm not, you know, like, it's just, that's, that's not, this, it's not my kind of wheelhouse, nor is it, you know, I don't have the enough knowledge or education on this to really speak about it um, in a way that I would feel comfortable with. But I will say that, you know, what you can do now when you're younger, or even if you're in your mid forties, fifties, you know, you are getting into that upper age, like what, what can you do practically? Here's what you can do. You can get your blood tested, a full blood panel every single year, maybe more if you're feeling, you know, some type of symptom coming on. Like you want to basically get your body to a, a really good state before symptoms happen. You know, you want to, you want to do all the things that are going to help build your immune system. You, you know, I, I take probiotics because I'm, you know, trying to not only help with my gut health, but also help with, you know, immunity. And, and especially during these, these kind of crazy times, it's like having a, a fortified immune system is helpful. Right. You know, and, um, and other things too, is like, once you do get your blood levels, like, see, is there something that's off and why, and maybe do some research yourself, talk to people in this space that have gone through similar things, you know, speak with a holistic doctor or a nutritionist or your general, you know, primary doctor, like get as much information that you can collect yourself. And the unfortunate thing, people don't want to do this research. They don't want to have to do the dirty work. A lot of people just prefer, okay, prescription, here you go. You'll be fine. I think that's the, the, the biggest difference. And I think that's where people can make the, have the biggest impact on their long-term health is by really taking a hard look at what's going on in their blood levels with their stress levels, 
with their cardio and figure out, okay, like if there is something that is off, how do I go about rectifying that? And I think that's really where a lot of these, you know, kind of more biohacking tools can come into place, you know? And, and so that's, that's what I would say. I would say, you know, get your blood work done, understand your sleep health, understand your stress levels. And from there, you know, work with somebody that you trust to put together a plan for you and to really try new things and be open to that. But if you're just eating fast food and you're not getting sunlight and you're sedentary most of the day, like we kind of know what that look, what that lifestyle looks like. And if you don't want that end result, well, you're going to have to do a little work to, to change that. Okay. And I've, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And I've heard you um, previously um, as well, talk a lot about how to actually implement um, such changes. So they're sustainably because I don't think anybody wants to be unhealthy. That would be an absurd goal. We, we seldom seek out pain. Um, mm -hmm. and, but here, kind of, we've tricked ourselves with our biology and our basic needs. So um, to kind of counter this, um, how have you observed is the best for people so they can sustainably adopt such practices yeah i mean i think it, it really there's it's kind of a very open-ended question so i'm going to kind of break it down into parts because i think that there are a lot of things that you can do for your health and i think sometimes it can be overwhelming so i like to think of it kind of like as uh body mind spirit and so you know within that there are kind of different sections right so in terms of taking care of your body you know, I, I look at how much exercise am I getting? And I, I tend to like to do more cardio based, but I also do some strength training stuff. So getting that in at least five times a week, you know, a mixture of both. And then, you know, overall, I like to set kind of low bars for myself in terms of just kind of giving me the momentum to do that thing. So if I say like, okay, I'm going to go for a run, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to go for 20 minutes. Chances are I'm probably going to go a little longer but at least just getting, getting out and doing the thing is really important. So exercise, sleep, sleep is super, super important. You know, uh, it's one of the things that I feel like it, you know, has finally gotten the credit it deserves in this space. And people are always talking about ways to optimize your sleep. And there's a reason it's like, we spend a third of our time of our whole lives doing it. And it's really the time in which you are recovering your mind and your body. So you've got to really get your sleep dialed in a couple of ways to do that. You know, making sure your bedroom is cold, making sure you're not eating too close to dinner. You know, if you are drinking and caffeine, too close, kind too of, close to bed. Um, yes. Know. Too close yeah. to bed. Exactly. Yeah. Do not eat dinner too close to bed, not dinner too close to dinner. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, I think also blocking blue light is a huge, huge thing. And that's so easy to do. Like, I think people uh, have become so uh, adapted to watching TV right before bed. That's fine. If you can still do that, just buy a cheap pair on Amazon of like blue blocking glasses for $25 and put those on while you're watching it. I mean, yes, it might be a little bit kind of more red, amber hue, but you can still enjoy the program and it's actually going to help you sleep better as a result versus being overstimulated not only by the content of the show you're watching, but also the blue light that you're getting from your screen. So that's, those are some very basic and easy things that people can do. And, um, you know, in, in terms of breath work, like I think a lot of the stuff that's worked for me for sustainability has just been combining things because I I'm, you know, type A and I like to do everything at once. So it's like, while I'm in bed, relaxing, I'm doing my breath work and maybe I'm listening to something like a meditation. So I'm getting, you know, kind of all these, you know, I'm basically combining all these different stacks of, of things I can do to help 
optimize my body and brain, you know, breath work, listening to a track, you know, some type of binaural beats to help wind me down before sleep. And all of that is helping kind of mitigate my stress. So those are some of the things that you can do really for your body. And then in terms of mind, I mean, I think there's so much that you can do, but really like a gratitude journal and practice has been hugely beneficial for me. And that doesn't require a lot of time. It's like you take a sticky note out every day. And at the beginning of your day, you write one thing you're grateful for over time that that gratitude practice actually has been shown to really help with, um, you know, people being happier longer. And so I think, you know, something so simple like that can, can really have like measurable differences down the line. Uh, I, I think like if you're trying to optimize your brain health, like figure out the right foods to eat, you know, some of the, if you do follow a ketogenic diet, you know, the right oils and kind of staying away from some of the bad oils, some of the processed foods and hydrogenated oils and really sticking to kind of a clean, healthy diet. It's going to help fuel your mind and your body as well. And drinking plenty of water, getting a good amount of sunlight, you know, it's, it's, if you live in a climate in which you're able to get sunlight, that's great. Like you can just walk outside, walk back inside, you know, you're getting an adequate amount of natural vitamin D from the sun. And so, you know, I think a lot of this is really just kind of, it becomes part of your practice. And so I always tell people, like, if you're really stuck with, you know, habit building or creating a routine, like create a habit tracker for yourself. Like there are so many different ones out there on the market right now. And really just like identify the things that are important for you to do because you think also here's another very important thing. Like you've got to be convinced that the things that you're doing are going to be good for you, right? Like don't just do them because, because like this person's doing it, do it because you've done it. You've felt the effect and you think it's good for you or you've measured that it's good for you and put that together into a very simplified plan and then just follow it. And after like a week or two, you're going to realize you don't need to like track it as much because it's just becoming part of your routine. So those are some kind of the ways I've created this sort of sustainability, but everybody is different. And I understand that everybody, you know, has different obligations and lifestyles and kids and all of these things. And so really what you, you kind of have to do is just figure out ways to almost, you know, I think the most sustainable is really stack things on top of each other, you know? So if you're going outside and you're getting sunlight and you're playing, uh, you know, say a baseball game and you're, you know, drinking plenty Mm -hmm. of water and you're in a community environment, like there, you're getting so many different benefits there, um, all in just, you know, one single session. So how can you kind of do that in different aspects of your life? And it becomes a lot easier than you think. Yeah. And uh, with all um, the due to tracking and recording things, life is um, not meant to be just scientifically um, outlined. And we are all individual. So although, for example, when one and I can just urge uh, listeners to do so uh, has a look at, for example, your um, work and can think about what these uh, things do and whether they are worth it. There's a lot of um, innate motivation just built into that because it seems like, oh, um, that looks like it would benefit me and we have this loss aversion that it seems like if, if we don't have this, um, it's not even that we're gaining something if we have it, but we already think we have it and we lose it if we don't get it. It's, it's kind of a weird, comp, um, weird idea, but it, in my estimation, is the same with lottery or just gambling. The small chances, but as long as the chance is there, um, there, there is this, yeah, risk aversion. Totally, and totally. It's so, a little bit of FOMO too, right? Like it's kind of like this fear of missing out. It's like, oh, if I'm not doing that thing, does that make me less healthy or more healthy, right? And so I think, 
people, you know, use your discretion and figure out like, cause you could end up, you know, spending your entire life savings on trying to buy every gadget that's out there and that, and one of them might work for you. So I think that's where you can lean towards people in the space that you trust that are doing a lot of this testing for themselves. And you, but you have to identify with that person, you know, you have to really say, okay, well, I, I, go through similar experiences as him or her. I have also faced that kind of stress or I have, you know, been working on this for a really long time and I really haven't found the answer. And this sounds like it might be something worth testing and it seemed to have worked. I mean, there's a reason why I use a lot of data and it's mainly just to show people the, the quantifiable results, because I think we all have such different anecdotal experiences. And, but I also do share the anecdotes. And I also do tell people, Hey, what's worked for me might not work for you. And is vice versa. You know, I've, I've tested out some devices that I was like, I got nothing out of this. And I talked to a friend and they're like, this was amazing. So this is the nature of the game. It's, you know, you've got to just be upfront and you've got to be really like as scientific as you can to prove a point. But then at the end of the day, it's it's really going to be like the consumer's decision. And that's why I always say, look for a good return policy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. That kind of to, to finish this off, um, you, you can just imagine spending 99 years to try to live to 180 and then simply dying. That would mm -hmm. not be worth it. So um, I hope, yeah, these ideas put in practice can help just simply improve the quality of people's lives and enable them to focus on with all their potential on whatever they care about. And if we've now evoked someone's interest in diving deeper into this, where can they find your work? Yeah, they, uh, they can go straight to YouTube and type in Katie type A. And, uh, that that's going to be my channel. And that's pretty much where you can find me across the board on Instagram and Facebook, along with, uh, you can just go to my website, katietypea.com and you'll find everything there as well. And including ways to get in touch with me. I'm always happy to talk to people about this kind of stuff. Cause I love nerding out on all things biohacking. So, and, and I also want to help people too. So if you ever are interested in doing kind of like a one-on-one -on -one session, I'm, I'm happy to kind of give you some coaching advice on, on how to implement some of these strategies. But, you know, the reason I, I am very generic about what I kind of, you know, how I assess things in terms of how good or not good they work is, is really because it's so individual. And, it, and I tell people, it's like, it really depends on your environment, your lifestyle, where you live in the world. There's so many factors. And so I think it's important, you know, to always kind of keep those things in mind when, whenever you're talking about anything in, you know, kind of broad strokes. So. Yeah, well, um, that was great. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. This was such a blast and I, uh, I really appreciate being uh, a guest on your show. So thank you so much.